Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, May 1st, 2022. It focuses on Ahijah the Shilonite's faithfulness to God's calling. The message to all who will listen is God's word for the good or for the bad will come to pass in due time. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. God, we pray that you would now speak to us, that we would hear your word and be moved by your word and by your spirit as your spirit makes your word come alive to us. God, help us to submit to you and to obey you, whatever it is that you say to us. Help us to recognize you and to know you better as we go to your word and the revelation that you've given us through your word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what is the most impactful thing anyone has ever said to you? Think about that for a moment. You don't have to shout it out loud. Just think about that. The most impactful, whether it was for good or for not so good. Now think on this. On those positive things, especially... Was that thing said to you in front of a crowd in a highly public place, or was it spoken quietly, kind of out of the way, one-on-one? My guess is that most of the words that you remember moving you powerfully were spoken discreetly. Am I right? Most of them. Who were those who influenced you in that unobtrusive way? My parents, without a lot of fanfare, urged me to follow Jesus in dozens of ways, reminding me to pray even when it was just about a toy that had been lost. A college professor, as we were talking before class, or maybe it was after, I don't remember all the details, asked if I thought I might possibly be called to preach. A fellow pastor spoke words of encouragement when I was pretty discouraged, A ministry friend spoke kindly of one of the songs I had written and shared at a retreat, all quietly, just making sure that I knew that somebody cared, that somebody noticed. Teachers, coaches, elders, close friends, they all hold sway in our lives, and their words make a difference in in both positive and negative ways. Recognizing this, I aim to speak carefully in all of my dealings with people, obeying God's command that he gave to us through Paul, which is given in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. How much unwholesome talk? Zero, none, not even a little, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Okay, think about the things that you've said this week. How do do they measure up? And I'm not trying to put guilt on you or shame on you. I'm just saying sometimes we mess up on this and sometimes we get it right. So our goal is to let the Spirit use us to speak those things which will build people up. And be helpful. Some of the words that I have spoken in the past don't meet the criteria 
of that verse. I pray God has healed the hearts of those with whom I have not been gentle or helpful. I pray that God would help all of us to speak in ways that would build up rather than harm. Isn't that what we want? We want God to help us that the words that we speak will be helpful to others and and build them up. That's my desire, and I hate it when I mess up on those things. So even when we rebuke or correct, our words should still be gentle and careful and should help build people up rather than tear them down. Well, in 1 Kings chapter 11, where we're going to begin this morning, there's this out-of-the-public-eye meeting between one of God's prophets and a man whom God intends to bless in a specific way. The prophet's name is Ahijah. He may not be among those that you remember well, not as flashy as Elijah or Elisha. No miracles are attributed to him. He didn't pen a book like Ezekiel did or like Amos. He slips into the narrative of Israel's history in 1 Kings 11 and exits the scene just four chapters later. Ahijah appears in the text late in Solomon's reign, a reign which began well but did not end so beautifully. After building the temple, an act which God was pleased with, Solomon was given great wisdom. People came from all over the world to hear his sage words, his proverbs. Everything was going great for Israel until the last few verses of chapter 10 when Solomon began to disobey God's commands. So before we talk about 1 Kings 11... Let's look at those actions that Solomon took, and let's take a look at what God said through Moses first. Knowing the people would one day demand that God set a king over them, God gave Moses set standards by which the king of his people was to abide. These guidelines are found in Deuteronomy chapter 17, and we're going to read verses 16 and 17. The king must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. So how did David's son Solomon do? Not well. At the end of 1 Kings chapter 10, we find Solomon accumulating great wealth from those who came to visit him. We also see him acquiring a great number of chariots and a great number of horses, some of which he went to Egypt to get. He's disobeying very specific commands from God. Continuing on into chapter 11, we find Solomon marrying many foreign wives, 700 of them. In addition, he has 300 concubines. Seems like an awful lot of women to keep track of and to please. Now, I'm not sure how many, many is, if you look back into Deuteronomy 17, but I'd say that possibly a 1,000 might be many. Maybe. It's certainly enough to bring about the result which God warned in advance would take place. He said, they're going to lead you astray, and we're going to see that in just a second. So let's look now at 1 Kings. We're going to look at the first seven verses of chapter 11. We're going to look at 1 through 7. 
The picture that's painted here is not a pretty one. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their god. What a mess. God does not stand idly by while Solomon does all of this in disobedience to his law, he speaks directly with the king and listen to God's words which are spoken to David's son in 1 Kings 11, 10 to 13. So we're just skipping a couple verses. Here's what it says, verse 10. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem which I have chosen. Last week we heard God promise David through Nathan an everlasting kingdom. David is only a few years dead and gone and his son is in trouble with God. Not a great start to this forever thing, this promise. But note this, God is faithful even though Solomon is not. He's going to punish David's line, but he is not going to wipe it out his promise stands even in the face of rank disobedience. The scene is set now for Ahijah to enter the story. He has a role to play in the fulfillment of God's word spoken to Solomon. He's going to speak God's word to the subordinate who is going to become king of the ten tribes that are going to be taken away from David's family. So if you're ready... Let's read a bit more from 1 Kings chapter 11. We're picking up at verse 26 now and reading a section that introduces the man who's going to take charge and talks about our prophet du jour, Ahijah. So here we go. Follow along as I read 1 Kings 11, 26 through 40. It's a big section here, so let's, let's go. Also, Jeroboam, son of Nebat rebelled against the king. He was one of Solomon's officials, an Ephraimite from Zeradah, and his mother was a widow named Zeruah. Here is the account of how he rebelled against the king. Solomon had built the terraces and had filled in the gap in the wall of the city of David, his father. Now Jeroboam was a man of standing, and when Solomon saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the tribes of Joseph. 
About that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem, and Ahijah, the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way, wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone out in the country, and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into twelve pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, Take ten pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you ten tribes. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites, and have not walked in obedience to me, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my decrees and laws as David, Solomon's father, did. But I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand. I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose and who obeyed my commands and decrees. I will take the kingdom from his son's hands and give you ten tribes. I will give one tribe to his son so that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. However, as for you, I will take you and you will rule over all that your heart desires. You will be king over Israel. If you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands as David, my servant, did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. I will humble David's descendants because of this, but not forever. Verse 40, Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam fled to Egypt to Shishak the king and stayed there until Solomon's death. Now, I have always had this picture in my mind of prophets, their wizened old men pointing bony fingers at kings with a scowl on their face, decrying injustice and wickedness and disobedience. Maybe that's because when I think of prophets, I'm usually picturing Elijah confronting Ahab or Jonah confronting Nineveh and all those kind of big stories that you pick up when you're a kid. But... Is this an accurate picture of the work of the prophets? Are they always angrily shouting down kings? Consider for a second Nathan, the guy that we talked about last week. He was strongly confronted when he met with David after the king's tryst with Bathsheba, but his other interactions with the king were not all aggressive or challenging. He bolstered the king's spirits during times of obedience and said, the Lord is with you. We didn't read about it because there wasn't time last week, but in David's closing years, Nathan was the one who made sure that Solomon took the throne when others were plotting to crown another of the king's sons as successor. It was Nathan and Bathsheba who broke the story in the king's presence and helped him sort things out and helped him to figure out what to do so that Solomon would, as David had promised, become king. The story's in 1 Kings chapter 1. You can look at it if you'd like. Not all... Maybe not even most of the prophets' words sent by God through his spirit-guided prophets were words of judgment on those to whom they were given. Here's what I discovered as I skimmed through the pages of 1 Kings this week. Many of the meetings between prophets and those to whom they were sent were private affairs like this meeting between Ahijah and Jeroboam. And isn't this encounter an interesting one? Ahijah's new coat ends up in pieces. Jeroboam gets 10 parts of this shredded garment. The word from God is this. You're going to rule over 10 tribes. 
David's line is only going to retain authority in two and only because of God's promise to David that his family would rule forever. There's a question we must answer anytime we're talking about prophets and their prophecies. You know what that question is, don't you? Do their predictions come true? I say that we have to answer that question because God himself set up this test of legitimacy way back in Deuteronomy chapter 18. You had 17 earlier. We're going to 18 now. Moses tells his people that prophets are going to come. He tells them that there's a way to know if the prophet's message is from God or from some other source. So we're going to read some of Moses' words, which were inspired by God And we're going to read Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 to 22. Here's what Moses says to the people as they're getting ready to enter the promised land. He's talking to the generation that was not rebellious. Their parents were the ones that weren't going to get to come into the promised land. He's speaking now so that they know what's going to take place. Deuteronomy 18, 18 to 22 says, I will raise up for them, that is for the nation, a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded or a prophet who speaks the name of other gods is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, This is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. What are the guidelines for discerning whether a message is from God or not? The prophet speaks in God's name and not in the name of another God. And the second one, what the prophet says will happen, happens. The second of these is a bit more difficult because sometimes the word of God would come to a prophet and it wasn't accomplished in their lifetime. It was accomplished years later. I mean, the last of the prophecies concerning the Messiah were not fulfilled for nearly 400 years. Thankfully, Ahijah's prophecies of the division that was going to take place, it doesn't take long for that to be fulfilled. What he told Jeroboam about the future comes true in short Order. So if you will flip over to 1 Kings chapter 12, you're going to see the matter settled. Solomon has died. I'm just setting the scene here. Solomon has died. His son Rehoboam has ascended to the throne. The people have asked for relief from the heavy burdens placed upon them by Solomon. And Rehoboam, Solomon's son, has promised an answer. He says, let me think about it. I'll come back to you. If we start at verse 13, we'll see what we need to see. So follow along as I read 1 Kings 12, 13 through 20. This is the shortest section that I could read and still show how God brought about the completion of the word Ahijah spoke. So we're starting at verse 13, 1 Kings 12, 13 to 20. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young man and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord, to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. 
When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home, but as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. Whew. Now, you caught that it says only the tribe of Judah remained loyal. And earlier, the prophecy was that he would give him one tribe. There's two, because 12 minus 10 is two, right? Well, if we were to read a little bit farther, I'm telling you that Benjamin joins in with Judah. And so Benjamin and Judah are both under David's throne. And there's another prophet who speaks God's word concerning this, but we're not going to read all of that. I'm just telling you that Benjamin and Judah were the two that followed after David. So did Ahijah's prophecy come to pass? Yes, it did. Jeroboam gets those 10 tribes and David's descendant gets two. End of story. Well, not quite. You see, Jeroboam does some pretty crazy stuff almost immediately after Israel's crown is placed on his brow. In fact, the rest of 1 Kings 12 tells the story of Jeroboam's decision to set up golden idols crafted to look like baby cows. Now, there was an incident way back in the wilderness where God's people set up a golden calf. You remember that? Things did not end well on that occasion for the people. This pair of shiny calf idols is going to prove just as disastrous for the nation and its current leader. So, we're going to skip over 1 Kings 13 and pick up the story where Ahijah again plays a part. For brevity's sake, I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. 1 Kings 14, 7 through 11. To set the scene, Jeroboam's son is sick, and the king has sent his wife in disguise to Ahijah to find out if the boy is going to live. Ahijah is told by God before she gets there that the king's wife is coming, so when she shows up, before she can say a word, before she can carry out this ruse of hers, he says, well, hello, wife of Ahijah, basically, and has a word for her to send back to Jeroboam, to her husband. So that's what we're going to read now. We're in 1 Kings 14, verses 7 to 11. This is what it says. Go tell Jeroboam, go tell your husband, that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you up from among the people and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. Because of this, I am going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as one burns dung until it's all gone. 
Dogs will eat those belonging to Jeroboam who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. The Lord has spoken. Not the most positive message if you're receiving it. So we're back in the realm of those imagined prophets, the bony-fingered ones that are pointing and speaking of doom. Ahijah, the guy who calmly spoke to Jeroboam beside the road a few chapters ago, now warns of coming doom. Why the change? It's because Jeroboam has rebelled against God. It's because of his wickedness. He has set up these idols rather than worshiping the God who set him on the throne of Israel. I don't imagine that Jeroboam's wife was especially excited about delivering this message to her husband. And I need to mention a second bit of news which Ahijah spoke to her. He told her that when she returned home that the boy that she had come to inquire about would die. And he did. Ahijah's message is delivered then to Jeroboam, and Jeroboam's grip on the kingdom, it's going to loosen in time. His family will not have a lasting dynasty as was promised or conditionally promised back in chapter 11 when Ahijah first approached the man. God is going to be faithful to his word in all things. Remember, when we talk about the prophets, we always have to look to God, the God who's giving the message. So, rebellion against God leads to death and loss. Something we need to keep in mind even today. If we refuse to believe in Jesus, we will be condemned. It's only by faith that we can be rescued from the consequences of our sin. Remember, the wages of sin is death and all have sinned. We need Jesus. Does Ahijah's prophecy concerning Jeroboam's family come true? Not in Jeroboam's time. The man ruled for 22 years, and then he died. Ahijah also died. God's promise does not die with him, however. Nadab, Jeroboam's son, takes control of the ten tribes upon his father's passing. The story of his two years on the throne is found in 1 Kings 15, verses 25 to 32. I'm going to read the first part of that passage. I'll start at verse 25. And stop at verse 29. So this is Nadab, who is Jeroboam's son. Nadab, son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of his father and committing the same sin his father had caused Israel to commit. He's still worshiping the baby cows. Basha, son of Ahijah, not the prophet, a different Ahijah. Basha, son of Ahijah from the tribe of Issachar, plotted against him, that is against Nadab, and he struck him down at Gibbethon, a Philistine town, while Nadab and all Israel were besieging it. Basha killed Nadab in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and succeeded him as king. As soon as he began to reign, he killed Jeroboam's whole family. He did not leave Jeroboam anyone that breathed, but destroyed them all, according to the word of the Lord given through his servant Ahijah the Shilonite. Ahijah was faithful to God. He spoke both blessing and warning as God dictated, not as he chose. He did so without fear of man. He was not deceived, nor did he deceive. He simply spoke what God gave him to speak. We all should be as faithful to God. Whether we have a gift like a Hyges or some other gift altogether, 
We are invited, urged, directed by God to use our talents and our abilities and our spiritual gifts that he's given to us for his glory and for the benefit of others. May we, like Ahijah, be faithful to God, always looking to him for what he has to say to us, always looking to him for what he has for us to do. I want to invite you to respond to the word that God's given to you today. As we close our time together, I want to urge you to pause and to talk with God about what he has for you. Consider whether you're in rebellion against him or if you're walking in his ways. Is he speaking blessing or is he warning you? Take that question to heart as we wait on God in silence. God, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful to you. To speak in ways that would build others up, whether it's correcting or commending, that we would speak your word and only your word. Help us to be faithful to that. God, if you've spoken a word to us of warning, help us to heed. Not to be like Jeroboam who chose his own way, but instead to choose your way and to obey you. God, help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.